Look, don't bother saying it. I'm letting you off the hook. What are you talking about? I know you wanted to dump me on Luminara. Just because she's gone doesn't mean you're stuck with me. I don't want to dump you. <sighs> Look, I just wanted you to have the best teacher. Well, I don't want the best teacher. I want you. Not that you're not the best, I... Ezra, I'm not gonna try to teach you anymore. If all I do is try, that means I don't truly believe I can succeed. So from now on, I will teach you. Look, I may fail, you may fail, but there is no try. I understand. Master. Let's see if you do. How did you do that? I can't even do that. Well, I've been forced to see things differently since Malachor. About what happened, I'm sorry for it. For everything, Kanan. It wasn't your fault. I never blamed you, Ezra. It's time for you to forgive yourself. Yes, Master. Welcome, everyone, from across the universe to the Wampa's Lair Podcast. Star Wars is for everyone, so pull up a chair, get comfortable, and join the conversation with your hosts, Carl LeClaire and Jason Hunt, here in the Wampa's Lair. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Wampa's Lair podcast. This is episode 461, Rebels Rewatch Reaction. Uh, once again, I will be solo like my little Batman episode at the start of the week. Um, Jason had something come up this week, couldn't make a make a show happen. And I said, you know what, buddy? Works out just fine. I just finished rewatching all of Rebels. Uh, took me about a month to do it, which is freakishly fast. Um... Clearly, there's not a lot going on in Carl's life. Am I right? Anyway, but uh, oh my God, y'all. I absolutely love this show. It was so much fun kind of rewatching it all as uh, is this continual story. Um, so I thought this would be a fun way to just get out a regular scheduled episode of, of good old Wampus Lair Star Wars content and just kind of share some of my general thoughts about Rebels as a whole, as this series as a whole, and some of the big things that I kind of took away from this kind of month-long rewatch, as I said. Um, and I think the first thing I really just want to be very clear on is for years I've been kind of... Uh, I've kind of maligned uh, Rebels. I'm like, eh, it was fine, but it wasn't really for me. Like, yeah, I like a lot of the characters, but the story is kind of whatever. Boy, boydy howdy. <laughs> I've never been more wrong. I am eating those words f uh, full stop right now. Um, this show is absolutely brilliant. Um, are there some duds in there? For sure. Um, but overall, it is such a phenomenal story. And I, I just, <laughs> I think it works so well watching it in kind of sequential order as I did. Um, so basically the, the way it even all came about was um, Jeepers. I, I, I really enjoy working out, but I pretty much just um, do the whole weightlifting type stuff. 
And it's very important that I start doing some cardio. So I was like, oh, I hate doing cardio, hate running on a bike. So my motivation to do it was, all right, I will watch a Rebels episode after I finish my workouts and I'll watch it while riding a bike, a stationary bike. So I was noticing at the gym, I'm just like, wow, I'm really enjoying Rebels. So uh, I just started actually so that I can enjoy it more without sweating all over the place. <laughs> every every day when I'd come home from the gym, I'd watch a couple episodes or in the evenings throw on a couple episodes. And again, I think this is one of the advantages of, of uh, these Star Wars animated shows, right? Each episode is 22 minutes, give or take. Um, even if you've had a full day, you, you know, and maybe you don't have time to throw on a two-hour Star Wars movie um, or even a 45-minute Mandalorian episode. I mean, you can just... If you just need a quick Star Wars fix in your day, uh, I feel like that's where, you know, shows like Rebels or even Clone Wars and Bad Batch, they they just fit the bill so perfectly. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I think it's been such a great time just going back and revisiting this family story. And I think that's something I love most about Rebels. Uh, a good friend of mine, um, my friend Steph, who is a huge um, Grand Admiral Thrawn fan, um, and I've loved picking her brain about all of that and plan to get her on the show soon to talk all about Thrawn. Um, I know a character beloved by many of you. It's, it's not a particular favorite character of mine, but I just love hearing people excited about something in star Wars, but Steph also loves rebels. And, uh, I was hanging out with her and, and her husband the other night and we were talking about, um, kind of the, you know, kind of comparing rebels to clone wars. And, um, she mentioned, you know, for, you know, for her rebels was just a, a far superior show just for the sake that it's, it's a continual narrative where right. Clone wars is very episodic. Um, and I, I mean, at the end of the day, that comes just, that's a, that's a taste preference. Um, I think for me, I still prefer clone wars, um, just because I love the prequel era so much. Um, but Rebels really is such a powerfully concise story, and it's an incredibly well-written story. Um, and you can tell they had this thing planned out from the beginning. Um, at least that's that's the takeaway I had from it. Um, the whole story starts on Lothal with this band of misfits, and it ends on Lothal with a bigger band of misfits throwing out the tyrannical empire. Um and that's kind of the first point I wanted to to kind of bring up about Rebels is that this story, this story of the ghost crew, this story of these rebels is really this microcosm story of the macro story of the rebellion against the Empire in a very in, like in a very clear way. This story of this small crew of misfits um, taking on the Empire against impossible odds is really kind of the story of Star Wars. Um, it's it's really the idea of people from all walks of life, all across the galaxy, who are being oppressed and um, at the behest of this tyrannical empire, coming together and finding the courage to stand up to them. And that's really what we see, is that that's it, kind of this evolution of a story in Rebels, um, you know, season one is very much the formation of this this family, this crew. Season two is them getting drawn into because of the actions of season one. They get drawn into this grand, this grander rebellion. And then seasons th three and four is really their impact in the early days of this organized rebel alliance. Um, so I love that this story 
is really kind of an indicator of what the rebellion is all about. Random people finding themselves together and standing up to the empire. Uh, again, what was ringing true in my head, especially as I was finishing the series this week, is is that brilliant line from Last Jedi when Rose says, you know, that's this is how we win, fighting to save what we love. Um, and that's really the story of Rebels. It's this team getting together to fight to save each other, to save the people they love. And quite literally in Rebels itself, it's to save the people of Lothal. Um, so when you talk about Rebels, I think the most important thing about this show is the ghost crew. Um, I've shared this several times that to me, the, my second favorite ship in all of Star Wars to the Millennium Falcon is the ghost. And the reason for that is, I mean, the, the design of it is really cool. It reminds the, the, the kind of the gunner turrets and gun, gunner pods are very reminiscent of, of, of gun emplacements on old World War II bombers like the B-17 and things like that. Um, so I, I really like that design. Uh, when I was a kid, my, my dad is really into airplanes and aircraft history. Um, so my ceiling in my, my bedroom growing up were all these World War II fighter models that my dad built and hung up on the ceiling. And the B-17 was always my favorite one. So I like that the ghost as a, as just an actual model is very reminiscent of, of World War II aircraft, which like we all know was a huge inspiration for how George wrote the, the, the dogfights of the original Star Wars. Um, so the ghost is not only a cool looking ship, but just like the Millennium Falcon, it's, it's our house in space, right? It's, it's the family home, if you will. This ship is the place of sanctuary and safety for the crew. Um, I mean, I love that we get to see their, their bunks. We get to see their bedrooms. We get to see Sabine personalize the space. It's very much like a family at home. Um, and I think that's the thing that really hooks so many folks to this show um, and what makes the show so beautiful. And when I was, when I finished watching it, I was thinking about, for me, I love seasons one and two the most because it really is following this crew. The, the only season, and, and I don't say this to say that I didn't like it, but my least favorite season is season three only because it really feels like the, the crew is splintered doing their own different things for the rebellion, which again, narratively speaking, it makes sense. But because what draws me to this show is the dynamic of the ghost crew, the fact that they're a little more splintered in season three doing their own little missions makes me less compelled with the story. That's, that's just my, uh, um, that's just my subjective thought though. Um, but that said, the ghost crew is a family. One of the most popular themes in star Wars for so many fans, myself included is the, the aspect of a chosen family. Um, and that's exactly what the ghost is. Every single person on there, not one of them is blood related, um, but they choose each other. Um, and as someone who very much uh, is living with a chosen family is, is kind of this core unit of, of how I relate to the world and make sense of the world and find comfort in the world is through the chosen family I've gathered around myself here in Boston. Uh, it's so easy to be drawn to that theme in rebels. And again, chosen family isn't unique to rebels. It's in the original trilogy. It's in the prequel trilogy. I mean, it's all over star Wars, but I just feel like the ghost crew embodies it in such a powerfully uh, amazing way. Um, so 
I just wanted to share some of my general thoughts of each member of the ghost crew because they're all wonderful and they each have something unique about themselves. Um, and I think, you know, the heart and soul, the, the very anchor of, of the ghost crew is, of course, the, the leader of the specters, good old Hera. Or as I've liked to become uh, to name her, Mama Spectre. <laughs> um, so Hera has always had the heart of a rebel. I love the stories about getting to see her with her father, Champs and Dula, which, of course, you know, all of us coming into the show, having been fans of the Clone Wars and we know who Champs and Dula is. But it was really awesome to see Hera be fleshed out and. Um, as Yoda says to Luke in Last Jedi, we are what they grow beyond. Hera is so much better at doing the rebellion business than Cham. And that's because she's grown beyond kind of his his blinders, his his kind of narrow vision of, well, the only people I care about are the people of Ryloth. But Hera walks away because she understands that the oppression people are feeling on Ryloth is being felt across the whole galaxy because of the Empire. So while she, of course, cares in deeply about Ryloth and, her, and her, her blood family, she steps away to join something bigger, to, to liberate more than just this one group. She cares about the galaxy at large. Um, and I love that about her characters. She's so much of her life has been defined by rebellion. Growing up among the resistance fighters during the Clone Wars, um, and then, like I said, you know, stepping away to join this Rebel Alliance. And right in in season one, she's the only one of the Ghost Crew that really knows how invested they are as a Rebel cell, as part of this grand rebellion. The rest of the Spectres, they're I mean, throughout season one, they're kind of getting hints of this. They're like, wait, what are we part of? What is going on, Hera? What are you doing? And she's being very secretive, not because she doesn't trust the rest of her crew, but it's rather because she's just trying to protect the rest of her crew and, and sharing what they need to know when they need to know it. Um, so she really is the heart of this crew. Um, and I think it was brilliant to, to get at that voiceover quickly in rogue one, where we hear, you know, good old David W. Collins is calling for general Sandula. Um, of course we see chopper and the ghost as well. But it makes sense that Hera is always going to be part of this fight because rebellion is in her blood. It's something she learned the value of from a young age. And she takes these valuable lessons that Cham and her, her fellow people of Ryloth taught her, but applies it to a galaxy in a, in a bigger way. Um, and I think that is the most heroic attribute of Hera. So that's, that is Mama Spectre. And then, of course, we go to Papa Spectre, my favorite member of the Rebels crew and possibly without doubt a top five Star Wars character of all time for me is good old Kanan Jarrus, um, formerly the artist known as Caleb Doom, of course. Kanan is, I mean, I mean, I could do a whole episode just on Kanan, which I'm sure at some point that's going to have to happen. <laughs> um, but just for uh, consistency's sake, what I absolutely love about Kanan is when we meet him at the beginning of the story, he is someone who still has that, that Jedi sensibility within him, even though he's kind of keeping that part of himself quiet and a secret, he can't but help 
people in need, right? And I, it, that's obviously a premise they're setting up for what's going to happen with Obi-Wan in the Kenobi series next in the next couple months. But this is so true for Kanan is he really likes fighting for the little guy. He really likes helping those in need. There's a little, almost a little bit of a Robin Hood sensibility to Kanan uh, in, in his early part. Um, but what we get to see with him, his journey is one of really accepting where he comes from and accepting the importance of the fact that he is a Jedi. Um, and with that sense of responsibility of being willing to step back into this kind of galactic conflict, um, I, I love that Kanan, again, it, it, right at the beginning of season two, is he's so, he's so upset with Hera for drawing the ghost crew into this, again, this kind of large rebellion. And as he tells her in that really beautiful scene in the hallway where he, you know, he says, I was part of one war and I survived that one. I'm not looking forward to being in another one. But Kanan's journey is all about uncovering that he has a gift. He is a Jedi. Um, and that's something, rather than being ashamed of it, to, to live out and to, to continue to bring the light of the Force back into the galaxy. Um, so... I really love that that story that Kanan gets to take us on um, is a reminder that the Jedi are still needed. Um, and that's really what Kanan's part of of this story is. I mean, I get it. While Hera is kind of the anchor in the heart, Kanan is the spirit and uh, the spiritual center of of this particular family. Um, and then there's Sabine. Sabine is a very conflicted character, a Mandalorian, no less, who's been essentially exiled from her people. Uh, She, for the longest time, had no place in the galaxy. She was abandoned by her, again, her blood family and completely misunderstood by the people of Mandalore. There's been this false narrative about who she was on Mandalore spread by the empire, and it causes her to have to go into exile. And it's the, the ghost crew, the ghost family that gives her a place to belong. Um, and just like Kanan goes on a journey throughout the series, so does Sabine. She is able to grapple with the guilt she is feeling over what happened on Mandalore with the weapons she built for the Empire. She is able to step back into Mandalorian society and re and and retell her narrative, tell people who she really is, and really fight for the people of Mandalore. Um, so Sabine, um, she is so much spunk. She brings this creative outlet to the Ghost Crew, um, and yeah, I mean, an absolutely integral part of the team. And then. Good old Zeb. Uh, in a, I, I feel like Sabine and Zeb have actually very similar backstories in a sense. They, they, they overlap a lot in the sense that just like Sabine is kind of cast out um, from her family, Zeb is not cast out, but he loses his purpose. Uh, it's I, I, I love the story about the people of Lhasa. I mean, he believes he's one of the last the last surviving Lasan in the galaxy and then he meets others and finds out they're not all gone and that uh you know there is a place for him in the galaxy and he 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 found that place he found again just like Sabine and Kanan um he found a place to belong on the ghost um and through 
through his relationship with that ghost family, when he meets the people of Lasat again, he's able to help bring them into a new home. Um, Zeb is he's got a little bit of a Chewbacca sensibility to him and not just because of the fact that um, as a Lasan, their, their design are actually lifted right off the early pages of Ralph McQuarrie's sketches for uh, Wookiees in the early days. Um, but Zeb has a similar sensibility to Chewbacca in the sense that he's, he was part of this honor guard. There's, there's a sense of dignity and honor to Zeb as a warrior. Um, and of course I think the, the heart of much of Zeb's story is has to do with his connection to um, Agent Callus and his ability to break through to Callus and show him the benefits of this rebellion. That there are these are people coming together. It's not just this system that sees you as a number, um, but rather this rebellion is about seeing you as a person. So Zeb is able to take one of the villains of rebels, you know, in agent Callus, and give him a new sensibility, give him a new purpose. Um, so uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's awesome that Zeb is able to find a new home, even though he thought he was homeless. And then when he meets the people of Lasat again, he helps them to find a new home. I mean, he, he pays forward the very thing that the ghost crew gave to him. Um, so I love that story for him. And I love that he goes with, of course, it, we learn in the epilogue that he goes there with Callus. Um, I, I would love some stories about Callus and Zeb on, on Lasan. Well, it's not Lasan. I don't know. I can't remember the name of the new planet they find. But all the same, I would love some Zeb and um, Agent Callus stories. Um, but of course, our the, the, the last member to join the ghost crew is, of course, our point of view character for the whole series, Ezra Bridger. Um, and as if, if any of you have been listening to the show over the years, um, you've probably heard me share my sentiments that I'm not a fan of Ezra. Um, and I definitely have a new perspective on his character now. I'm still like he's he's definitely not a favorite character of mine. I don't foresee that ever happening. But all the same, he is our point of view character. He is the Luke Skywalker of this story. He's the one who goes on the ultimate hero journey. Um, everything kind of filters back to him. And because he is an orphan of Lothal, his commitment to Lothal is really what drives the story. You know, they they essentially leave Lothal. They come back a little bit in season two. Um, but in season four, I mean, the, the, the story is really comes full circle by liberating Lothal. And the connection to Lothal is all through Ezra. Um, and... Ezra is just just like every member of the ghost crew is a very wounded character um, who's kind of just surviving, making it by as best he can. Um, But then he meets this crew and he meets this this Jedi who recognizes this force ability within him. So Ezra is really if you if you kind of think about it, Ezra is really the first of the new Jedi in, in a sense. Um, so obviously, as we all know, Luke Skywalker, the, the burden of rebuilding the Jedi order is going to fall to Luke. We know how that turns out. Um, again, I think we need to know more about that in, in the Canon stories and hopefully we'll get it. Um, but all to say Ezra is being trained as a Jedi. Not long after the purge, the great Jedi purge. 
Um, we learn in the story that Ezra is actually born on Empire Day. So the day that Revenge of the Sith kind of culminates with the Emperor claiming to be Emperor is the same day that Ezra was born. So, um, yeah, it's it's just interesting, like, that, that connection of his story to the history of the Empire. Um, so Ezra is this is this lost soul who lost everything to the empire. Um, and so what is he doing? He's, he's kind of, he's just taking his revenge where he can. He's stealing from the empire. He's making them look like schmucks as often as he can, but that's kind of it. It's not until he meets the ghost crew that he gets a direction to his life. And then of course, obviously the ultimate one is that he's called to be a Jedi and, and he has Kanan as a teacher. Um, so I just love the dynamic of the ghost crew. I think each character has such a beautifully unique story. And while Ezra is obviously the main character, um, I would say that every, Oh, by the way, I know I didn't mention chopper. I'm not, I'm not droids are just kind of like not to be a jerk, but they're always just kind of background to me. I'm not a droid guy. Um, chopper is great. I enjoy him. Um, but I don't, I don't have a tremendous amount to say about him. So my apologies to all you chopper stands. Um, but I, I mean no ill will. It's just that's those droids just don't draw me in. I, like I know what they mean to Jason. They're huge. I, I'm sure he'd have a lot more to say about Chopper than I do. I will say this, though. My favorite Chopper scene by far and probably my favorite droid scene in all of Star Wars is in the episode um, after Kanan dies when Hera is just standing there by herself and Chopper rolls up next to her and just extends his little pincer arm and holds her hand. Absolutely adorable. I loved that moment. Um, so yeah, Chopper might be, might be spunky AF, but he has certainly got a, a good heart in, in that metal tin can of his. <laughs> so, but all that to say, you know, this ghost crew is really the heart and soul of this story. It's a story of a family who um, have all been hurt by this tyrannical empire and they come together again, just like the, Re- the rebel Alliance itself to, to do something about it. Um, something else that I think is worth noting uh, for, for rebels is the re- the return of some of our clone wars characters. Uh, it really made rebels feel like a continuation of that story. And as you know, as we all know, um, rebels was created by Dave Filoni who, um, obviously was George's right-hand man all through Clone Wars. So it makes sense that he brought back some of the Clone Wars characters. And first and foremost is Ahsoka. Um, we, we get to see her at the end of season one. Uh, she's Fulcrum, um, which again, uh, one of my favorite new canon novels is the Ahsoka novel by E.K. Johnston. Um, if you're an Ahsoka fan and you've not read that book, I can't recommend it enough. Um, and as I say that just about to give you a spoiler, but so sorry if you haven't quick spoiler, we, we get the story at the end of that of how she becomes Fulcrum. So I won't give you the details, but uh, in that book towards the end of the novel, we see her become Fulcrum. So it's interesting to see Ahsoka being involved in this rebellion. Um, and again, if you want to know how she got kind of wrapped into it, read the Ahsoka novel by E.K. Johnson, because that's that's where we get her coming back in. Um, 
But what's incredible about Ahsoka in this series is she's not a formal Jedi, right? I mean, we all know it's obviously in Rebels where she has the famous line when she confronts Vader, I am no Jedi. Um, but we see her make that that hard choice of leaving the Jedi Order. I mean, I think it's that that scene is one of the most heartfelt scenes in all of Star Wars. Um, so it's wonderful to have her back. And um, a, a, a regular listener of the show who who's always chiming in on social media, which I appreciate, is our friend Dave. And Dave made a great point about Ahsoka being a way seeker. This I, you know, so for any of you who have read any of the High Republic series, in the High Republic, we learn there's this group of Jedi known as way seekers who kind of just go out following the will of the Force and doing whatever needs to be done. And I love Dave's interpretation of Ahsoka kind of as this way seeker character in Rebels. And and even more, you know, even I think you could argue that the same is true for her in Mandalorian. Um but I think also what makes Ahsoka's presence in this show so important is she provides a sense of encouragement to Kanan and Ezra in their relationship as master and apprentice. Um, Ahsoka in no way seems to have any issues with them training to be Jedi. Uh, she doesn't officially commit to any of that training of the two of them, but she just recognizes it as something that's important. Um, so it's kind of neat to see uh, how she recognizes this new path of a new type of Jedi, um, which I think is just great. Of course, we also have Rex. Captain Rex is back uh, and and as, as well as some of the other clones, Gregor and um, darn it. I forget the other one's names. My apologies. <laughs> um, but I also love how Kevin Kiner uses the clone theme. Uh, whenever they're around. Um, but it's really fun to see Rex back in the fight. And uh, <laughs> I think Rex also, as a, as a, you know, a former clone trooper, he gets to provide this really great commentary on, and just how useless stormtroopers are. You know, these clone soldiers like him and his brothers were such effective soldiers and just, it feels like any chance he can get to make fun of stormtroopers, he does, which I just think is hilarious. Um, but uh, it's great to see Rex join this fight because Rex chooses to. I, I love that episode at the beginning of season three where they where Ahsoka sends them, you know, sends the gross, the ghost crew to find Rex and his his fellow clones and invite them back into the fight. And obviously, at first, Rex is the only one to take up that invitation and the other guys come back in, in season four. But what's really awesome is. Um, and, and this actually really hit me as I was watching the, the finale of, of the series is when I believe it is Gregor who is killed and his dying words to Rex is it was great serving alongside you, general or uh, captain in a fight that we chose. Um, and I think it's so cool to see Rex is this, in a sense, relic of the Clone War who was programmed to fight in this war. And obviously we get into that question of programming and free choice a lot in the Clone Wars series itself, but all the same, it's incredible to see Rex in this series, um, choosing to be part of the rebellion because it's something he really believes in and understands. Um, so I love, love this love that he's in there. Uh, one of my favorite episodes of rebels was, um, I believe it's in season three, I think it's called the last battle um, where they end up on that, that droid, <laughs> that droid planet where for them, the clone wars aren't over. So 
Rex has to prove to the to the droids that they could have won the war and then they team up against the Empire. I just absolutely loved that episode. Um, but I think what Rex also does is he's he's there for sure as his own character with his own motivations and purpose. I want to be very clear about that. But at the same time, he also does serve a purpose in Kanan's story, right? Um, I actually just rewatched the first episode of Bad Batch uh, today. I think I'm going to rewatch that series next. <laughs> um, but, uh, right, we really get to see why Kanan has such a disdain and mistrust of clones. I mean, he watches them gun down his master. Uh, so Rex kind of provides this sense of healing for Kanan from the Clone Wars, um, this sensibility that... Um, all clones are evil. Rex kind of proves to Kanan why that's just not true. Um, and I really enjoy their dynamic, which of course starts very much at odds and then they become these, these, these good buddies. So I, I love the relationship of Rex to Kanan. Um, and then of course the, I think the biggest surprise to a lot of folks uh, is the return of Maul having Maul back in rebels. I thought was a really bold choice. Um, but I, you know, you really can't be surprised by Maul being back here, considering they made the bold choice back in the Clone Wars to bring a guy back who'd been cut in half. <laughs> so, you know, I feel like you can keep throwing Maul in wherever you want at this point. Um, but I thought it was I thought Maul served a great purpose in the story. Now, of, of course, again, if any of you have been with the show a while, our, our beloved former host, uh, Katie, Katie, of course, is the biggest Maul stand that I know. Um, and she could go on and on and on about the importance of Maul as a character in Rebels. But suffice it to say, for me, I thought what served so importantly in in Rebels is... So to look at him specifically as the character, when we find him on Malachor, he's there lost, alone, um, looking for some sort of connection. And I think... My my favorite episode of Maul in Rebels is as much as I love Twin Sons, it's a great episode. Um, it's not my favorite Maul moment. Um, my favorite Maul moment is actually when he takes Ezra with him to Dathomir and shows him kind of the relics of where he comes from. And he really wants Ezra to leave with him. Um, but Ezra, of course, chooses his family. He chooses the ghost crew. But when but Maul like really laments it. He's like, we could have been brothers. Um, which of course immediately like just made me think of the pain of what he felt when he lost Savage in the Clone Wars. Um, but he really wants Ezra. Uh, he really needs companionship. And I know that again, that's something Katie talked about all the time when she would talk about Maul's. He is a lost soul in, in need of true companionship. Um, but again, what a, the the thing I think I enjoyed most of all with Maul being in Rebels is he does represent just how powerful Vader is. Um, so I remember when they brought Maul back in the Clone Wars and then they really started amping up his story, taking over these crime syndicates. And I'm like, and I remember thinking this back, you know, when all that was happening live, I was like, how is this just, how is Sidious just ignoring this? And then of course he does and he comes in and kicks their, kicks their tails, um, which I thought was Absolutely right. You need to show that as, as big as Maul thinks he is, he's nothing compared to the power of Sidious. And I think in the same way, you know, when we first meet Maul in the season two finale and he he's trying to reason with Kanan and Ahsoka and essentially say, listen, I can't take on this Vader. He's coming soon. I can't take him. Maybe we all could. But it is a reminder that, you know, Maul was once a very formidable adversary, but he's got nothing on Vader. 
Um, and that's, and that's, again, I think Darth Vader is used perfectly in rebels. He's not overused. Um, and you know, of course with the, they obviously give us a, a quick glimpse of him at the end of season one. And then season two opens with, uh, what happens when you have, uh, a former Jedi Padawan training a new Padawan taking on Darth Vader. I mean, that fight is as one-sided as it can get. And I think that it's super important that it is because Kanan and Ezra are not capable of defeating Vader. Um, so it was awesome to see Darth Vader in the show used so perfectly. And we see him very brutal. His tactics are super brutal. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, I mean, it, it, which I guess another new addition to rebels that I think is, is fascinating is the inquisitors. Um, we know that they, they are all beholden to Vader. They're trained by Vader as we learn in the comic series. Um, and these inquisitors are just sent out to, to find any sort of force sensitive or Jedi on the run. And whenever they become too big of a threat, even for the inquisitors, that's when Vader steps in. So, you know, season one ends with Kanan taking out the Grand Inquisitor. So finally, Vader's like, all right, tag me and I'm coming in and I'm going to show them what's up. Um, and that's exactly what he does. Um, and then I do want to just mention one last character that is obviously a huge standout in Rebels is Grand Admiral Thrawn. Um, he it's so cool that they brought that character back, you know, a beloved character. I mean, he is Grand Admiral Thrawn was kind of the the spark that relit people's interest in star Wars again, you know, when, when Timothy Zahn put out air to the empire back in 91. Um, and it was awesome to see how, how much Dave Filoni talked with and worked with Timothy Zahn and developing Thrawn in rebels. Um, and you know, as I said, Thrawn is still not a favorite character of mine. Um, but he's a brilliant character all the same. Just because he's not a subjective favorite doesn't mean he's not a brilliant character. And I think what Thrawn really represents throughout Rebels is just kind of the impossibility of overcoming the Empire. Thrawn is as smart as they get. I mean, Vader is brutal and powerful. Tarkin, brutal and powerful, also a bit intelligent. Um, but Thrawn is just a mastermind um, in a way that I feel like he's only second to Palpatine himself in that regard. Um, so Thrawn, Thrawn is also brought in to deal with this growing rebellious threat. They bring in kind of a top tier admiral like Thrawn, and Thrawn throughout just is is in, is inquisitive and as in, in inventive as this Rebels crew becomes more and more throughout the series. Thrawn always seems to outsmart them. Again, that's. This is subjectively why I don't like the character. I don't find someone who seems to know everything a very compelling character. Um, but at the same time, he really represents how hard it is to overcome the Empire. Um, and uh, I, I will say, my, I think my favorite favorite portion with Thrawn is the season three finale where he shows up at their hidden base and is confronted by the Bendu. Uh, and he just has no idea what to do. And I think that's something that I do at least appreciate about Thrawn is Thrawn is super, super, super rational. There's not much room in him for the supernatural, which of course the force is. And of course the Bendu is. So I do like that as, as brilliant as Thrawn is, there are mysteries in the galaxy. He'll never 
be able to grasp because to him it's not, I, I wouldn't even argue that he doesn't believe in the supernatural. Like he's seen Jedi. He knows what they're about. He just, because he can't empirically understand it, he doesn't, I don't know. It's almost like they, it, those things just don't matter to him. Um, uh, and since I mentioned the Bendu quickly there, I, I might as well give him a quick shout out. I, uh, when this show first came out, I really didn't like the Bendu. I didn't like the idea of this one in the middle. Um, and, uh, but I really, really loved the Bendu on this rewatch. I love that Kanan gets a new master in a sense, and it's not a Jedi. The Bendu is clearly not a Jedi. Um, and he, the existence of the Bendu expands our understanding of force mythology. And again, as you know, any of you know who've listened to the show, that's my favorite element of Star Wars is the Force and the Jedi. So getting to expand on that mythos is phenomenal. And that's really what the Bendu represents is um, he teaches Kanan how to see again. Um, right? It's it's incredibly powerful. Uh, the Bendu connects with Kanan in such a way that Kanan's able to believe in himself again and, and believe in his work as a Jedi training at Padawan. Um, so that's, that's really incredible. Um, having the Bendu in that regard. Um, and then, you know, the, <laughs> a couple other like last things I wanted to share is things that I had a new perspective on as I walked away from this rewatch. So again, kind of like I said at the top of the episode, um, this, you know, for the longest time I was kind of whatever about Re- rebels, um, because of certain elements of the show. And these are the things I want to kind of tackle in this last little section, if you will, is these things that I walked away with um, from a new perspective. So the first thing I want to hit on is the importance of Kanan training Ezra. Um, And by the way, all these things I'm sharing are obviously very just subjective to me. All all of you might have totally different things that uh, grabbed you with rebels. So I in no way am in trying to ignore or dismiss other elements of this show, but I'm just, Speaking to the things that speak to me, because um, that's really all we can do. Um, but anyway, the importance of Kanan training Ezra. Uh, it shows that Kanan still believes in the Force and believes that the Force is alive in the Jedi, and he wants to pass that torch on, even if it's a, in a small way. Um, as Yoda says in Clone Wars, the Force made visible a Jedi is. It, Kanan continues to recognize that what the force has brought into his life in the person of Ezra is something worth paying attention to. And um, he's going to train Ezra. He understands that the Jedi are still needed in the galaxy. And I think what I really appreciate about Kanan is unlike Luke Skywalker, and again, totally different characters with very different motivations to be sure. But unlike Luke, Kanan doesn't take the weight on his shoulders of like, oh my gosh, well, I guess since I'm a Jedi, it's my responsibility to to restart the Jedi. Like, that's never something Kanan feels. I love, he, he's like Spider-Man in Homecoming. He just, he's going to stay close to the ground. He's going to be your friendly neighborhood Jedi. <laughs> um, and I really enjoy that about Kanan. So he takes on the responsibility of training a Padawan, which is enough for him. And I love that episode in, uh, I believe it's, yeah, season two, where they go back to the temple on Lothal and he kind of has that vision of fighting temple guards and he gets knighted in because he he finally comes to this understanding that my purpose is, isn't to protect or 
keep Ezra safe or to stop training him. It's just to train him. It's just to do my best to teach him the best I can. And it's after that sentiment that he is knighted as a Jedi Knight because, you know, he was he was never knighted. He 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 leaves as a Padawan. Um, so I, it is it is so important that Kanan recognizes the importance of there still being Jedi in the galaxy. And again, I love the context in which that that's happening. Kanan is very, very clearly in a romantic relationship with Hera, and he in no way sees that as a problem for continuing on as a Jedi as well. So Kanan in his, in his own person is kind of representing something new um, for what Jedi can be moving forward. I think the sad thing is that he never got a chance to meet Luke. I think he could have taught Luke a thing or two. Um, and then the last thing I want to just mention about Kanan, obviously I've got a lot to say about Kanan cause he's, he's my favorite character in the show. Um, but his, his very name, it's obviously spelled differently, but the, the, the name Kanan, Kanan is the promised land in the middle East promised to the people of Israel. It's, it's the plate, the land flowing with milk and honey. Um, so Canaan himself represents this truth that the first, the force is still working to restore balance to a broken galaxy. Canaan in his own person kind of represents that the force is still making a promise to the galaxy. Um, you know, I think it, I, I was, I was a hundred percent in on Canaan as a character right from the end of the very first, um, series opener where he says, kid, I'm about to let everyone in on a secret. And he walks out there and ignites his lightsaber for the first time. And it's just like, wow, that's amazing. <laughs> um, he represents the promise that the force is still with the galaxy. Um, so I love that his name is Kanan. I don't know if that's exactly why they chose it or not. But for me in my head, Canon, he's named Kanan because he represents a promise. Um, so love that. Um, the, the, so the next thing I want to talk about is the thing that hung me up the most about rebels, which of course is the world between worlds. I thought it was the dumbest thing I had ever seen in star Wars. It seemed like pure fantasy. It felt so out of place. And I remember sharing that one of uh, a good friend of mine, um, Tom, my friend, Tom is a huge rebels fan and loves world between worlds. And, uh, I met Tom at, at the church community I'm part of. And so like me, he's, he's very spiritually inclined, very intelligent about these sorts of things. And I remember Tom saying to me at one point, he goes, you know, you're really conservative about how you understand the force. And I was like, well, what do you mean? And he said, well, the fact that things can exist outside just the Jedi code is, is preposterous. And I was like, well, of course they can. And he's like, yeah, but you're not letting them. And I was like, oh, you got me, Tom. Um, but he's 100% right. The world between worlds represents the reality that the force is an immense mystery. Um, it's something you can never fully know. There's, there's a beautiful line um, in the Revenge of the Sith novel by Matthew Stover where Obi-Wan says the force is a continual, it, it is a mystery in the purest sense. The more we think we know about it and the more we learn about it, the more we learn we don't know about it. Um, and that's so true of any spiritual truth, anybody's experience of the divine, whether it's God or something else is as we tend to get to know those things more and more, we also start to understand how little we know. Um, and I think that's what the world between worlds really represents is it's a reminder that the force is so much bigger than just the Jedi. And it's not to say that the Jedi aren't an incredibly important part. They have, 
course are, but it's not just them. And that's a lesson Luke wants to teach Ray in, in Last Jedi. And that's also the, I think, part of the purpose of the Mortis arc in Clone Wars, which to me is still the most head scratching arc in that entire show. Um, but Mortis is really kind of representing the fact that that this force is so much bigger than than what this dogmatic Jedi order is trying to contain. Um, so I love that the world between worlds continues that, that reality. Um, and when I think about it, to me, the world world between worlds also kind of represents the, the, uh, cosmic force, right? Um, for those of us who, who know our force lore, we know that there's the cosmic force and the living force and they, they exist in balance in a sense, um, but what I love about what happens in the world between worlds episodes, right? We obviously see, uh, Ezra rescue Ahsoka from, from dying on Malachor. And he wants to then be able to do the same thing. If, oh my gosh, if I could do this here, I want to, I want to rescue Kanan. Um, but he has to learn the hard truth that if, if he pulls Kanan out, then they all die. And it, it's, it's just kind of this reality that the cosmic force can reveal these big answers, but to me, it says it takes the living force to make them happen. And I guess what I mean by that is um, in the context of Rebels, Kanan and Ezra, they they pave the way for the return of the Jedi. Um, but what it's going to take specifically to 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 mend the the imbalance in the force itself is the love of Luke for his father, Anakin. Um, so that's not the role for Kanan and Ezra to play, but to say that their role isn't immensely important would be a huge disservice to them. So like, are they the ones that are going to write the rift in the force itself? No, they're not. And that's okay because what they do is remind the galaxy of the importance of the Jedi and that the force is still alive in the galaxy. Um, and then Luke's story goes, goes on a little bit further, but in the world between worlds, we in Clone Wars does a lot of this too. Is giving us these, all these these mystical ritual aspects of the Force, where we see Palpatine doing crazy rituals in a couple episodes of Clone Wars. Once again, Sidious wants to control the world between worlds because he thinks that's where ultimate power is. Again, he's always just trying to harness the Force just simply for the sake of power. And part of what Ezra has to learn in World Between Worlds is learning that the Force is not a power to wield for the sake of power itself. Um, but rather the cosmic force can reveal all sorts of futures and, and possibilities, but it takes being fully immersed in the living force to make things happen in the galaxy. Um, and then that's the last, the last point I want to bring up then is kind of this relationship of Ezra to the living force through creatures all across rebels um most notably with the the pergil but most of all the loath wolves and again if you've been with the show in a while um second only to world between worlds i thought the loath wolves were the dumbest thing ever in star wars they felt to this world they felt very fantasy-esque and all that to say i here's there are things I love about, I love what the loath wolves represent. I don't love the design choice again, only because they just feel too much like something out of Lord of the Rings, um, or game of Thrones. I mean, they look like dire wolves <laughs> to me at least. So it's, I'm not, I'm not belittling the skill of their design. I think they're beautifully designed. They look great. It just felt weird to have something so earthly in star Wars. So there's, that's my negative piece Putting that all aside, though, what I love about the Loath Wolves is they represent 
this incredibly important aspect to Ezra's character and it's Ezra's ability to connect to creatures that are connected through the living force. It's a lesson that Kanan tries to teach him early on, reach out, try to connect with something. And, and Ezra really struggles at first, but he's, he seems to have a gift at this, a gift that even Kanan doesn't have. I mean, um, and again, this has always been true in star Wars lore is that different Jedi have different skills sets in the force there. Some are called to heal. Some are called to do other things. Um, but Ezra has this really profound connection to the living force. Um, and I think what the Loth Wolves specifically show to us when they're brought in in season four is that we are told that they are part of, they have a deep connection to the Force and a deep connection to Lethal. Um, so they kind of represent the very spirit and very life of Lethal itself. And they, they themselves even join in this rebellion against the forces of evil. Um, and again, I think this 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 concept is not new to Rebels. I would say it was really introduced in Return of the Jedi with the Ewoks. The Ewoks are uh, this incredibly beautiful um, indigenous group of people that have this deep connection to the living force that are compelled to join this rebellion because the rebellion is about protecting the life of the galaxy. So the whole idea with the Loth Wolves being in the story uh, as, as something bonded to Ezra just makes absolute sense. And I love how several times he's asked, Kanan asks him about it. Sabine asks him, you know, tell us about this connection. What the heck? It doesn't make any sense. And I love that Ezra always essentially says, yeah, I don't get it either. It's just there. Um, right. It's, it's like just being, there's just this innate connection. And I love that about him. And, and he just follows where the living force guides him. Um, and that's and that's exactly how Ezra's story ends. Is he uses the living force to summon these Pergil to to give of himself. I mean, he learned from Kanan's own sacrifice that he's going to give of his life, um, not only to just protect the Ghost Crew like Kanan did, but also um, to really protect this rebellion. And I think, and again, I know a lot of my comments have been very Kanan Ezra heavy. Um, but because they're the they're the Jedi center of the story, that's where I've gravitated to. Um, but I think the sacrifice of Kanan and Ezra are both beautiful ways of of kind of showing this both and element of the rebellion that there's something incredibly personal about protecting your family, and there's also something global, if you will. So Kanan's sacrifice in the moment that he gives his life in in the episode Jedi Knight. It's literally just to protect his family. It's to protect Sabine, Ezra, and Hera, the people he loves most of all. This action doesn't do anything to save the rebellion at large, but he saves his family who he knows will continue the fight of the rebellion. And then and then Ezra's sacrifice is, yes, of course it is personal. He is protecting Hera and Sabine and Zeb um, and, and all the other friends he's made along the way. But ultimately, he's doing this to protect the rebellion. He's giving his life to, to pull the mastermind of the Empire out of the picture. He's taken him off the board. You don't have to play chess anymore with this guy. He's so smart, but I'm just going to get him out of here. <laughs> he, he's been disqualified. And I think that that's an incredibly important aspect of, of Ezra's sacrifice. Um, and then the show ends really beautifully. I mean, it, it has such... Special edition Return of the Jedi vibes as we see the ghost flying over the city of Lothal and the streets are just packed with celebrating people. 
So Rebels itself as the, its own contained narrative, as I said right at the top of the episode, it is this microcosm of representing what's going to be able to happen when people with a common purpose and a common sense and desire for freedom band together against the voices of against the forces of tyranny and darkness. Um, it doesn't matter what the odds are when people gather and really fight for freedom. The force is always on their side. And that's to me, the biggest lesson of rebels is find your family, believe in yourself, believe in what your family draws out of you and don't be afraid to stand up for what is right. That's the story of star Wars. And it's all beautifully contained in this four season TV series of rebels. It's just brilliant. Um, and in, in, uh, if I'm being hundred percent honest with myself, I may actually, I might actually have to admit that I might like rebels a tiny bit more than clone wars. Um, it's tough to say again, they're kind of different types of series. Um, but I love just the consistent narrative of rebels. I love that they're doing, that's what I love that they're doing with bad batch. And again, there's obviously a, a narrative to clone wars as well, but it's much more episodic and serial based. Um, but yeah, Rebels is just, ugh, what a love letter to Star Wars <laughs> is all I can say. And I think it's interesting to note that it's the first Disney Star Wars project, right? It came out before Force Awakens. It, I mean, it started before Force Awakens. Um, it was Disney's first venture into our beloved galaxy. And I think they tap into a lot of what we love about the original story but also draw in elements of the prequels. It draws on Clone Wars. It's kind of just this cornucopia of Star Wars goodness. Um, so, I mean, it, I probably don't need to say this at this point. If you've been essentially listening for an hour, just me kind of ramble about what I loved about Rebels as a whole. Um, you probably don't need to be convinced to go watch Rebels again. Um, but if for whatever reason you've you've been on the fence, uh, I can't recommend enough visiting it again. Um, and... Uh, because it's, it's just such a damn good story. So there you have it. There are kind of my thoughts on just generally speaking, uh, rewatching the whole series of, of Rebels. Um, like I said, I know I want to come back and talk some more specifics, talk some, of, talk, talk some favorite episodes. I know Jason would love to get on that conversation too, and I'd love to hear what some of his favorite episodes are. I'm sure we'll have some overlap and a lot of differences like we always do, which I love about it. Um, but uh, yeah, that's that's kind of my overall thoughts. Um, so to those of you who uh, took the time to, to chime in, even though it was a solo episode, thank you for listening. Uh, this has been episode 461, Rebels Rewatched Review. Um, as always, I am one of your hosts, Carl LeClaire. For Jason, who's always here in Force Spirit, we'll see you next time here in the Wampa's Lair.